Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel this morning? This is the gospel of the Lord according to St. John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Remain standing. Uh, I caught you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like aerobics in here sometimes. They, they sit down and stand up. Together we're going to declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, and then we'll invite uh, Father Stephen to come as we sit under the word. Let us confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. 
Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Stephen, come. Well, I, I hadn't turned it on yet. That's, that was on me. <laughs> You're doing good back there. Uh, if you haven't been with us all weekend, uh, it's nice to meet you. My name is Stephen. Uh, I'm the rector at Via Lethbridge. Uh, and throughout the, the weekend and the evenings, I've been teaching through the, the, the topic of, of calling in a, a really broad way. Uh, something that's been really interesting to me about this is, uh, as I prepared for this weekend, uh, the first two messages actually really came together quite easily. Uh, and then when I was prepping for this morning, I couldn't actually discern where I was supposed to go. Uh, and in some ways, I just opted for what the, the logical conclusion uh, to the themes I'd been covering. Who are we? Who is he? And then I thought, well, let's go. How do we respond? Uh, and I probably should have taken a clue from the fact that I couldn't figure out an alliteration that maybe I wasn't supposed to do that third one. Uh, I didn't have a, a George in my life to help me. Uh, and so I, I prepared something uh, around the theme of offering ourselves as a, a living sacrifice to God from, from Romans 12. Uh, and to be honest, it was probably a fine message, but my staff or, or Jess would ask me, you know, how's your prep going? And I had this total sense of dissatisfaction for the Sunday morning, and I actually said at the end of the day, by Sunday morning, they're not going to care. They're going to be so tired of hearing my voice, and it won't even matter what I preach. Um, but... but you know, I kept being drawn back to this idea of Jesus calling the disciples and thought, well, maybe I'll just go there. Uh, and then the week before, I read the overview online and saw that that's where Adam was going, and I thought, well, I won't do that then. And then while I was in Adam's session, the passage Father Chad read was, was burning in my heart, actually. I just kept going, oh, I think i got to go to John 21. Uh, and then Adam had a great session, and he covered John 21. Uh, and I was like, well... I guess I can't go there either. Um, but it was really speaking to me, to be honest. Um, so last night during worship again, I felt the Lord draw me once again back to 21, and this continued dissatisfaction with what I had pre-prepared to bring to you this morning. Uh, and so I submitted it to Father Chad and just said, you know, here are my options. I can go this way or I can go this way. Uh, what, is, what does the church need more? Uh, and so he suggested John 21. Um, I think there's something really beautiful in this for us this morning. Uh, and, and if you were in Adam's session yesterday, there's something really beautiful about the way God calls his disciples. Uh, I think to make sense of John 21, though, uh, we have to go back a little bit to, to when Jesus calls the disciples in, in Luke chapter 5. We, we see Simon 
Peter, James, and John on a boat. Uh, they, they are fishing through the night, and they had just the worst luck. Uh, apparently, in the ancient world, you fish at night. The, the fish maybe are a little bit more dopey in the night, and then when daytime comes, you, you go in and, and you get some rest. And so they've toiled all night. Uh, now the morning has come. Nothing happens, and there's this somewhat unknown carpenter teacher who says, hey, can I get into the boat because people are really pressing in on me. Uh, I need to teach them, and if I can just back up from the shore a little bit, that'd be great. And so Jesus gets into the boat, he teaches them, and afterwards, you know, he says, why don't you just try uh, going out a little bit further and, and dropping your nets down one more time? It's a, that, I think that'd be very annoying if I went to Alec or Mike and was like, hey, I don't know anything about the trades. Why don't you just take my advice? Have you tried this hammer? And they're like, yeah, we've tried a hammer before, you idiot. It probably didn't make a lot of sense to Peter at the end of the night for Jesus to just go, well, why don't you just go try again? But there's something in, in Peter's heart that's immediately responsive and obedient to Jesus. Even though I think to the undiscerning eye, it would have just looked like a, a carpenter teacher telling an experienced fisherman how to do their job. Simon takes two really simple and yet profound steps of obedience. First, he responds. He goes out into the deep and Second, he lets down his nets and he tries again. But I actually really love his answer. He goes, Master, Master, we've already tried this. We're frustrated. It didn't work last night. And I actually can't imagine it's going to work this morning. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, I, I love the obedience of Peter in this. He's not even at this point an official disciple, yet there is some degree of understanding of who Jesus is, and at very least, Jesus is someone worth listening to, even when, when his ask feels outrageous. Even when to a logical mind, he goes, I don't know how this is going to produce anything. So we, we know the story of Luke 5. The, the, the load of fish is such that the boats are literally sinking. There's so many fish coming in that the boats are starting to sink down into the sea and at that moment, Peter sees Jesus for who he is. He falls on his knees and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. There's something of the, the holiness of Jesus in that moment. And in the love and the mercy of God, Jesus doesn't like just kick him off. He doesn't just shake his leg and say, get away from me. You are sinful. But he, he looks at Simon Peter and he speaks his identity and he gives him purpose and he gives him calling. He says, I'm going to move you far beyond catching fish. These fish are ultimately going to die, but now you will be catching men and giving them true life. He says, I'm inviting you, Peter, into my mission, into my purpose, into my plan, and it will be bigger and greater than this. It'll be eternal. It'll have utmost and eternal impact. And so we know the response of, of Peter, James, and John. They leave everything behind and they follow Jesus. They give up their, their incomes. They give up their business. And what's even really remarkable to me is I, I'm a practical human being. They don't even care about the fish that Jesus caught. They leave all of it. I would have been like, wow, Jesus, look at this miraculous fish. Isn't that for the provision of our ministry? Shouldn't we sell this great fruit of your miracle? The miracle doesn't even matter. They leave everything behind and just go where Jesus goes. There is nothing more important than being with Jesus and following his call. And they follow him for years. They give up fishing. They choose to just 
be with the Lord. They knew that being with the Lord would give them and their hearts and their wills and their bodies life. They give themselves fully to his kingdom. And then he dies. And the cross happens. I actually can't fathom the pain of that for the disciples. Like if you believe that what Jesus is doing, like if you believe so much that you will give everything in your life, if you will quit your job, leave your boats, leave your family and go and be with him and follow him for years and years and years and then one day it just abruptly comes to an end. And there he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross and then buried in a grave. And probably what's worse, you're going, wow, the Romans killed him and we were his followers. Are they going to kill us? If he's a threat, I'm a threat. I actually can't fathom the pain of that, of giving your life to something and then just one day, dead. The Bible is full of stories of callings that don't go the way the people expected. Jesus had called them from the boat, promising them that they wouldn't be regular fishermen any longer. Rather, they'd be fishers of men. They would be people on his mission with Christ, walking with him, ministering with him, leading with him, participating in his miracles. And then their hopes and their dreams are dashed. I'm certain they felt disillusioned. And so what did they do? They went back to what they knew before. They went back to what they were comfortable with. And these disciples, they expected Christ's victory to look so much different than it did. They thought they were going to get a warrior king who was going to overthrow Rome and restore the land back to Israel. They didn't expect him to die, nor did they expect him to be raised from the dead. And though the the gospel tells us this is the third time he'd revealed himself, they didn't know what the resurrection actually meant for their future. So again, what did they do? They went back to what they did before they started following Jesus. And I think for us, when our lives are in total upheaval, or when our lives and our callings and our purpose don't necessarily go as we expected, we pull back. We we can hold back. We become hesitant to hope, hesitant to trust, even in the Lord. Maybe we're a little bit disillusioned, like they were. Peter and the the disciples were disillusioned. Their world in that moment had come apart. And I think for so many of us, our world and our expectations have just come apart. I know in our our church, through COVID and then through this investigation, it's upheaval. What we thought, what we hoped for, what we dreamed would be, just shattered. Just fell apart before our eyes. And yet, Christ appears to them. And after a night of fishing, and they again are are drawing blank and, and... Christ comes and miraculously gives them a harvest of fish again. It's just a simple man yelling from the shore, have you tried the other side of the boat? Pretty frustrating advice. Right? Have you just tried one more time? But he's rewriting their story. He's going right back to the first time he called them. 
And, and so the beloved John is the first one to realize that the man's risen, the Lord, and, and Peter is the first one to respond, and he just jumps out of the boat. His, something in his heart comes alive, and he goes, I can't not be with Jesus. But he just, uh, could you imagine that? It's the Lord. Oh my goodness, I need to go. Hops out and swims to shore. He can't get there fast enough. Once again, it's not about their livelihood. It's about true life and divine life. It's about being with the one who gives purpose and destiny and meaning. It's all about Jesus. Amid all the pain, all the disillusionment, Peter still knows who the one that gives life is. And he throws himself into the sea and he swims to Jesus and Jesus has a charcoal fire ready for them. I love that Jesus just comes and eats with them. And I think the, the normalcy of this encounter is so staggering considering the, 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 the miracle of the resurrection, but also the, the miracle of the, the fish. I love that Jesus just goes, no, I'm going to come and eat with you, commune with you, and, and prepare a fire for you. There isn't fanfare, there isn't this you know, celebration. There's not lightning coming from heaven as the resurrected Lord reveals himself. He just comes and prepares a meal to commune with them. And he meets them exactly where they're at. Even if they had forgotten their destiny, even if they had forgotten their purpose and their calling, they're back on the boat. They went back four years before that moment to what they were doing before he called them, and he goes, I'm going to come and meet with you again exactly there. My, my prayer is, is he, will he do that for me this morning? Will he do that for you this morning? The, the remainder of our time, I, I want to focus on the verses 15 to 19. This is, I think this is actually my, my favorite passage in the Gospels. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. After breakfast, Peter had Jesus alone at, at the charcoal fire. And the, the charcoal fire is such a significant place, and it would spark significant memories for, for Peter. If you think back to Genesis 18, we read of another time that Peter is by a charcoal fire. He is warming his hands by a fire when he denied Christ. Realistically, when friendship was what Jesus needed the most, Peter rejected him. So this encounter isn't an accidental encounter. Three times Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and now here he is face-to-face -face with his Lord, face-to-face -face with the risen king, 
And there's the, the crackling of the flame. There is the smoke rising, and it's all too real for him. M- maybe you've had experiences like this where you have a memory uh, of something embarrassing in your past. I, I remembered this morning, actually, uh, when I was maybe six, six or seven years old, I called a friend. I was supposed to hang out with him that day, and I didn't really know how answering machines worked. And so the parent, they weren't home. It came to the answering machine, and I just didn't know what to say. So I just talked and talked and talked and talked and then hung up. And then the, these friends just picked me up and they somehow knew that I wanted to go over there or something. They, they picked me up and we went home and I walked into the doors of their apartment and I realized, oh no, they're going to play the answering machine. They haven't been home yet. And they, they hit play on the answering machine and my like seven-year-old nonsensical message was just playing in this room. And they just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I was so embarrassed because I didn't know what to do or what to say. But, but as I even aged, I would remember that moment and all the shame and all the embarrassment and all the pain, I would relive. I could feel it as though it was the first time. I just felt like, oh, I'm such a loser. And I'd be in my 20s and just think, oh, I can't believe I did that. Like, I was such an idiot. And I would feel self-hatred and shame and embarrassment and failure over and over. These things linger with us for years. Failure, mistakes, self-hatred, shame, they just stick with us. Who we are, and we have to re-engage with the remorse that moment. We have to re-engage with the embarrassment in that moment. We have to re-engage with the shame of life in that moment. I think Peter's probably being confronted with the shame and the guilt of what was probably the single most regrettable moment of his life as he's seeing the fire, as he's hearing the fire, as he's smelling the burning wood and the smoke is going into his nose. He's like, I remember the last time I was at a fire and that's the place I denied my Lord. This is the same Peter who is the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The same Peter who just moments before the betrayal says, I'll never fall away. These losers might, but I won't. And here he is now as the the weakest version of himself as a man who probably failed when everything was on the line. He'd seen the risen Lord, and yet he'd quit quit the mission. He'd went back to fishing, and John tells us that he led others to do the same. He said, come on, guys, let's just go back to what we did before. And I just imagine the smoke is filling his nostrils. The shame is simultaneously filling his heart. He stands across from the Lord, and Jesus says, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Such a a beautiful, beautiful encounter. Peter betrays Christ three times, and Jesus doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't embarrass him. Instead, he restores him. He takes him back to the place of his greatest failure. He actually sets up a moment of a fire to remind him of the place of his greatest failure, and he meets him there, and he restores him for each and every time he failed. Three betrayals and three restorations. 
Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. Jesus knows how unsteady we can be. He knows how weak our love can be, and he knows that we are the, per- the furthest thing from perfect disciples. He knows that when life throws unexpected curveballs at us, it can bring out the worst in us, just as it brought out the worst in Peter. We, we live through difficult aspects of lives. Our-, our marriages are tough. Our work can be tough. Our ministry can be tough, and it can draw us into anger. It can draw us into fear. It can lead us into addiction and hopelessness. It can bring up the things that we thought we had conquered years ago, and we're reliving who we used to be. And what matters to most, the most to Jesus is not what our past behavior was, but that we love him at all, even in the greatest place of weakness. Do you love me? And he prepares a charcoal fire before us. He prepares a humble breakfast for us and says, do you love me? He cares that we do, that we receive him, that we find life in him. And he asks you all this morning, via Langley, do you love me? Do you find life in me? And this morning, Jesus himself wants to come to each of us And he calls you in the midst of your weakness. And he calls you in the midst of your need. And he earnestly desires to meet with you. Can you see him, not in fanfare and lightning and the heavens tearing open, but in a simple meal, in a simple breakfast? Do you see him at a table this morning where we commune with him? In the gentleness of a a conversation. And for Peter, this wasn't about condemnation. Jesus doesn't bring up the betrayal. It's about restoration and promise. The the promise of a a calling. He affirms them, feed my sheep, shepherd my church. But I, I ask you this morning, where do you need to meet with the risen Lord? We need to have these restorative second charcoal moments. Jesus Christ today knows your weakness. He knows your shame. He knows the, the places of your heart and your life and your actions that even thinking about makes you cringe. The, the things you've done that when you go, oh, that just pops into my mind, you feel that self-hatred and that failure and that shame once again. He knows the pain of disillusionment He knows the pain of callings not going as anticipated. He knows the pain of life not working out as you wanted or expected. Jesus Christ knows the single greatest regrets of your life, and he loves you, and he wants to build a fire for you in that very place and meet with you. He wants you to love him there in those very places and receive him there in those places. Beloved, he knows it all, and this morning, he makes a fire for you, and he says, why don't you meet me there? Why don't you encounter me there, and let me restore you? Commune with me, and let me light your heart on fire again. This is the the ministry of the resurrected Lord. He came alive and brought resurrected life with him. And he wants to come into your life this morning and where your love is weak, 
and maybe where your discipleship is weak and distant, he, and maybe your passion for him is all but a burning ember of what it used to be. He wants to breathe the resurrected life of the living God upon it and have it burst into flame once again, that we would jump out of the boat and go, I can be nowhere but with Christ Jesus. I promise you that the gospel promises you that if you give yourself to Jesus at your absolute worst, at your weakest, at your most vulnerable, he will not reject you, but he will preserve you. And he will grow a love for him in you. He will prune away every aspect of death and make way for life and fruitfulness and faithfulness. Life with abundance, life with nets overflowing, the kind of fruitfulness that makes boats sink. Because friends, it's not about our ability to achieve life. It's not about our devotion to Jesus Christ. It is fundamentally about his devotion to us. And even when the disciples went back to the boat, he said, no, I'm going to seek you out again, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to call you, and I'm going to restore you. So as long as we think calling's about us, we're missing it. It's about him and what he does, and our willingness to just open our hearts and receive him. So when we get back on our boat, when we get back into the boat of sin and shame and guilt or frustration or anger or judgment and bitterness and disillusionment and fear and anxiety, Jesus Christ comes to us. And he calls us. And he prepares a place for us. And the risen Lord says, Let's go there. Let's talk about it. Are we willing to jump back in the water? Because it's at this place we'll find restoration. It's in, in those places of our greatest need that we, we find the hope that we're looking for. The gospel brings forgiveness and liberation and life. Jesus wants to remove from us the weight that have been upon us for far too long, the shame and the condemnation and the disillusionment that we're carrying. And he wants to breathe hope and life into us. He wants to re revive joy in our hearts this morning. And if you come to him in honesty and vulnerability and, and truly confess where we're at, He'll meet us there and he'll restore us there. And we can respond once again to his call to follow me, to, to be with me, to die with me. Friends, as we prepare our hearts for the table, I ask you this morning, what's your charcoal fire experience that you need? Where does Christ earnestly want to meet with you this morning? And he, he invites you and he calls you with love and compassion, full of grace, full of mercy, full of hope. And he doesn't ask, what have you done? What's your life been like this week? He says, do you love me? And he has one desire, and it's to restore you. So together, church, let us come to this holy meal.
Let's come to the table of the Lord that he has prepared for us and meet the risen Christ. Come to him with openness and vulnerability and don't shy away from our greatest places of need, but bring them to the Lord Jesus and say, that is where I need you most. Do what only you can do in my heart. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.